OTB Sports Rugby. Do you want to just take it easy, keep the emotion in check? That's not what sport is about. It's about emotion. It's about singing your national anthem with pride. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, very happy to say Chris Jones, uh, BBC's rugby union correspondent, is with us in the line. Good evening, long time no talk. How are you, Joe? Good to be back. All good? Yeah, great. So we, uh, in this particular slot over the last couple of weeks, have just been talking about how great we think Irish rugby is. And I, I, at this point, enough of that. Why don't you tell us how great you think Irish rugby is? <laughs> well, it's um interesting question because we had Jerry Flannery on our BBC Rugby Union Daily podcast, which is out tomorrow morning. Um, and the question Danny Kerr posed to him, Joe, was is this the greatest Ireland team of all time? And he paused and thought about it and said, you know, it probably is. And when you're talking about great Irish sides, there's obviously the big caveat that no Irish side has delivered at a Rugby World Cup. And so you look at the Grand Slam winners, 48, long gap to 09, then to 18. But if this crop go on to win the Slam this year and make a, you know, make a dent on the World Cup later in the year, big ifs, I know, Mm -hmm. You ally that with the way Leinster are going, um, the strength of the provinces across the piece. Then, yeah, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty good time for Irish rugby, isn't it? And I just think back to to twenty sixteen, just after the twenty fifteen World Cup, um, which it might have been at the end of twenty fifteen. I went to watch Leinster at the RDS against Wasps, and Wasps hammered them forty odd points. So this has not been something that's been going on for ages. But certainly the last five years, it's probably culminating now. It seems to be, a, yeah, the whole game is in pretty good state. That was Leo Cullen's first European match in charge, somewhat shell-shocked afterwards. Mm. But he's done OK since. He's done OK since. And uh, on a serious note, so I'm, look, I'm, I'm uh, the, the hubris, I suspect, to our uh, uh, social media friends watching it on YouTube is, is in, uh, nauseating. Do you see any major chinks in the Irish game? Because I'm not, every side is beatable, and and certainly Ireland fall into that bracket. Is there anything jumping out to you? I mean, it just goes back to that question about whether they can get done in a slow game. Um, and there are only a few examples, and I think that's what people will cling on to. Uh, La Rochelle, a couple of um, Heineken Cups ago, La Rochelle in the final last year. Although that was such a tight game, it's hard to look too much into that and use that as a big big sort of example of how Leinster were exposed um, uh, Ireland in Paris last year but then they fronted up brilliantly against France in Dublin this so yeah I'd be really interested to see and look England are way off at the moment but if they go to Dublin and the game is quick with lots of ball in play time I think England will get will get taken to the cleaners mm. but if a team like England or France can maybe slow the pace down make it more of a set piece to set piece game that's not to say Ireland are vulnerable at the set piece. I'm just trying to think of ways that, that Ireland can be got at. But I, I wouldn't get too carried away just because of that World Cup draw. Mm. You know, Scotland and South Africa, even if Ireland gets to the quarters, they'll be beaten up and then New Zealand or France lie in wait. So it could be that Ireland have a fantastic year, the greatest Irish side of all time, and still just make the quarterfinals, which would be incredibly harsh. But that's the nature of the draw that, that Ireland have unfortunately got later in the year. It is. We are acutely aware. Uh, we wanted to check. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't have to remind you. No, you, you, you <laughs> really didn't. You really didn't. We wanted to chat to you about this Wales situation. Yeah, 
the great cliche in rugby is that Warren Gatland all these years was a sticking plaster. Even Gatland can't stem the tide here. This situation seems dire. People are generally aware, I'm sure, of the gist. There are 70 Welsh players, give or take, out of contract at the end of this season. The um, various regions, Cardiff, Ospreys, Dragons, Scarlets, they were given permission to begin contract talks by the Welsh Union at the start of January. However, no talks have really happened because the Union hasn't agreed budgets with those regions. So the regions are quite understandably saying, well, I can't really engage in contract talks with players if I don't know how much money we have. And so the players are furious. Uh, the, the quote, I think, which really crystallised the situation in the Daily Mail last week was uh, from an anonymous player. And he said, I can't believe I'm five months away from the end of my contract. I'm eight months away from the World Cup. My future isn't certain yet. Can't apply for a mortgage. I'm on antidepressants. I'm also one big injury away from not having a job in July. Yet I'm starting for Wales every week. And the union is making tens of millions from international matches. And so the prospect of strike has not been taken off the table for the England game. Where do you want to start on this one? Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. Where on earth do you start? Like, you can talk short term and say, oh, it's about the next 24, 48 hours and placating the players on their three demands, which t- t- two of those demands, the 60 cap rule being scrapped and a place at the, at the PRB for the players' union. Those demands have been met by... Um, by the power that be the sticking point in the short term is about these 80% guaranteed contracts with a 20% bonus structure. But the short term is just the symptom. What's happening this week is a symptom of of a much bigger piece in in Welsh rugby that goes to the very existential issue of what Welsh rugby is, what it wants to be, the model it needs to have, both in terms of structure and in terms of governance. and 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 philosophically how welsh wales rugby structures itself going forward because you know the irish model the provinces carved out in history union run it's working for ireland the scottish model with two sort of city clubs run by the sru it's, it's working for scotland the french model private businesses working for france the english model's been been battered from pillar to post in the last year but you know, it's it's been a sort of robust model up until this point uh, the last few years. And certainly there's no suggestions they're going to change the model to, to a centrally contracted model at all. But what is Wales? You know, Wales is neither here nor there. It's ultimately a privately run um, set of businesses, but also need to have proper funding from the Welsh Rugby Union for release of their players. Such a big issue. So many different facets of it. And then you look at the actual leadership, the Welsh Rugby Union of hemorrhage talent, in the last four or five years, the last chief exec, the relationship with the regions was kind of non-existent. He's moved on. And now you've got two people in place, Ian Evans and Nigel Walker, who potentially don't have enough experience to manage this crisis. And there aren't loads of people in the Welsh Rugby Union who fit that bill either. So it's it's a mess in every single which way you look at it, unfortunately. I presume the BBC documentary, which prompted anarchy I would imagine behind the scenes hasn't helped the situation then again they've picked curious battles i.e. in the midst of this crisis Delilah was their main focus one presumes for several days Um, this will be sorted in the short term for a moment this will be sorted I I would think for the England game I, I can't even imagine these players as furious as they are could bring themselves to go on strike and, and miss an England game. 
yeah, I, I think it's a tough one. On the one hand, you go, well, what is what is the point of of threatening strike action without going through with it? And there'll be a strong lobby of, of, of thought that would say, well, you know, this has got to hit Welsh rugby where it hurts for the union to get the message or the PRB to get the message or whoever to get the message. On the other hand, the players will also think, well, this is a huge day for the Welsh people, huge day for local businesses, and the ramifications for the tournament as a whole of having a game cancelled, not going ahead, would be profound, those ramifications. So you still think, even though we are edging towards D-Day, you, you still think it will get short, sorted in the short term. But even if it does, where does that leave Welsh rugby? You've got Malcolm Wall, the chairman of the Professional Rugby Board, coming out on Scrum 5 last night and saying, belts need to be tightened in the short term. And there's there's a case for that. We're seeing it in lots of other rugby nations post-COVID. But he's also talking about needing to commercially grow the game as well. How do you commercially grow teams that aren't winning? How do you how do you get teams winning when they're not being funded? You know, it's it's a it's a it's a chicken and egg. It's a bigger piece than just going, oh, get some more crowds in. You need crowds. Look at the crowds that, that would have come and watched the Ospreys team of sort of 07, 08, 09, star studded. Yeah. Same with, with the Cardiff team that won the EDF in 09. So it's there's so many different facets, this Joe, and they all have a knock-on effect to each other. And you look at the leadership and you go, right, they need to completely revolutionise the governance in Wales. The amateur game still has a stranglehold on the pro game because the majority of the board is is made up of those who have been elected through the clubs. So you need a chairman that's independent or a chairperson that's independent, and that chair can then go out and elect a CEO or get hold of a CEO that has the business acumen and experience to tackle this crisis and then start from there. But at the moment, every single component part that you look at, you think this is broken. Mm. And you then look at the regions who are gamely doing their best and have picking up some great wins. Osprey's home and away, Montpellier. Scarlet's had a really decent win on the weekend. Cardiff too. But if you don't know your budget, how do you attract talent? How do you keep talent? If the 60 cap rule goes, will there be an exodus? Look at the two hot shots in Welsh rugby at the moment, Daffy Jenkins and Chris Ginza. They're coming out of Exeter. Exeter are stockpiling Welsh talent at the moment. More talent heading to Gloucester, we hear. So, I mean, it's just, just I, I don't have too many answers, Barset yeah. asking, do the regions need to go down to three so you could spread the money more sensibly? It's four too many for a rugby economy of Wales's size. And then the the big, big decision that will not happen in the short term because there isn't the appetite among the English clubs is whether the Welsh would be better off in the England system. Mm. And that would then have huge ramifications to the URC, to Irish, to Scottish, Italian and South African rugby. Um, that is not on the table in the short term, but it's something that senior figures in the game do see as potentially an option for Welsh rugby and for English rugby if you're going to build up the second tier. But yeah, these are all questions we're asking and in the short term, we've still got this this rumbling on in the game in doubt. Yeah, it's going to be a very Welsh thing when they go out and beat England. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I you know. know. It's, it's and the inevitable point. It's the blessing and the yeah, and it's the blessing and it's the blessing and the curse of Welsh rugby. Yeah, because you've been to Cardiff, Joe. It is so special, and I, and I, I presume I presume me. Gatland's uh, success has allowed a, a stasis at union level to just take hold. I mean, yeah, regions aren't performing, but look how good we are generally. So there was, there was never exactly. a crisis. What's well, a top-down approach, isn't it? It's yeah. a top-down approach that says this is the cathedral of Welsh rugby, the Principality Stadium. Everything flows from this. And so you then sort of had to have this um, Welsh national senior team 
then a gap to the community clubs who are represented on the board. And then the regions are kind of in that no man's land. Yeah. Where the community clubs don't think much of the regions, the Welsh Rugby Union don't think much of the regions. So you have this vicious circle of mistrust in Welsh rugby. You compare that to what you're seeing in Ireland and that symbiotic relationship between the provinces and the amount of money that the RFU gives to the provinces, the, 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 the fantastic setup you've got at the schools in Leinster, and the model works. But the Welsh Rugby Union have not seen value in funding the regions, probably because they felt they can get a successful Welsh national side without funding the regions. But now the Welsh team is losing and the chickens are coming home to roost. A very quick last word. I haven't talked to you since uh, Borthwick. Um, well, we, talk, we we spoke when he did take charge and, and looked back on the Jones era. What would you say of uh, Borthwick's tenure thus far with the view to round five in Dublin? I think it's about small steps. It's about the basics. It's stripping back the game plan. As we saw against Italy, it's not hugely exciting, but it's getting foundations in place. And the hope is that every session Borthwick and his coaches have with the players, they get better. Um, they get better at the basics. They they layer on their game. I mean, they're miles off Ireland in terms of sophistication of game plan, cohesion, ability to attack in those waves. But I think they're going to get there slowly, one step at a time. It really could have done with beating Scotland because then with Italy at home and Wales in turmoil, they could have been three from three with a home game against France mm. and they could have kept building confidence. Um, so I'm fascinated how they do in Dublin. That is the acid test in world rugby at the moment. And I'm fascinated how to do this weekend because, you know, Borthwick is about, he, he's been really clear, Joe. He thinks he's got a lot to sort out from the Eddie Jones regime, but he feels he's got the tools in place to, to, to build steadily. But his message to England fans is it's a, it's not an overnight fix. Okay, Chris, great to have you on. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot for having me. Cheers, Joe. Cheers. Chris Jones there of the BBC uh, with us. Shorter Monday Night Rugby than usual. We'll be back previewing the weekend in plenty of depth on Wednesday Night Rugby. Rugby on Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.